0: There was this period in the late 90s and early aughts—maybe you remember it—where it seemed like Mean Girls were everywhere. There was, of course, the Mean Girls movie starring Lindsay Lohan and Rachel McAdams and Tina Fey. That hit theaters in 2004, just two years after the publication of Rosalind Wiseman's Queen Bees and Wannabes, the nonfiction book that inspired the film. So-called Mean Girls were getting famous on shows like Laguna Beach, The Hills, and The OC. There was also the Gossip Girl book series, which began in 2002 and was adapted for TV in 2007. If you know anything about Blair Waldorf and Serena Vanderwoodson, you know there's plenty of potential for meanness there. And I could go on and on about all of the other book series for teens that capitalized on the fact that so many of us grew up hearing our parents say that girls are just mean anytime there was drama with friends at school. Lise Harrison's The Click series brings this Mean Girls theme to the tween set. Launched in 2008, the series would grow to include 14 novels. The content has a YA bent, but it features a group of middle school girls navigating popularity, friendships, changing social dynamics, and so much more. Oh, and these girls are rich. Like, really rich. So you've got your share of designer brands and fabulous vacations and famous parents, too. On today's episode of SSR, which, if you're listening in real time, is the last standard format episode of 2019 before I drop a special little listener-sode and then take a mini-break before kicking things off in the new year, is all about the first book in the Click series, which is called The Click. We meet seventh grade queen bee Massey Block, whose life has been turned upside down, or so she thinks, by the arrival of Claire, the daughter of her father's best friend from college who she's been told to befriend but has clearly nothing in common with her longtime besties Alicia, Dylan, and Kristen. Obviously, drama ensues offering us the chance to talk about everything from that mean girls cultural moment I described earlier and the sexualization of tweens to the pure weirdness of middle school and the moral responsibility of YA and middle grade authors. I'm so happy I had my guest Rachel Waynes, who was a click super fan as a kid, to talk me through all of it. Rachel works as a digital manager at the Newset, a platform that celebrates women on their way and highlights everything from fashion and beauty to tech and entertainment news in a daily newsletter. Rachel shares most of what she reads, along with what she eats and what she does in New York, on Instagram. Follow at Waynes. Follow SSR on social media too. We are at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook by searching The SSR Podcast. As we wind down 2019, I would so appreciate your five-star ratings and reviews on iTunes. You probably get sick of listening to this plea from all of your favorite podcasters, but they really do make a difference in getting the show out there to more potential listeners. The best part about leaving a rating or review is that it only takes a few seconds. Thank you in advance for leaving those. You can also show your support for the podcast by posting the episodes you're listening to on Instagram stories, tagging at ssrpod, of course, and by shopping for bookmarks, tote bags, and t-shirts at www.ssrpodcast.com shop. You might also consider becoming a Patreon sponsor. All the details are available at www.patreon.com ssrpodcast or or when you visit www.ssrpodcast.com and click support at the top of the page. Basically, Patreon patrons contribute a few dollars each month to the production of this independent one-woman show over here, and they get some awesome rewards in return. I appreciate the support of each and every Patreon supporter tuning in right now. If you're thinking about joining that crew, please feel free to reach out to me with any questions at hellossrpod at gmail.com. I'd love to fill you in. Please also allow me to fill you in on the very magical Libro.fm. FM lets you purchase audiobooks Directly from your favorite local bookstore. Choose for more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know who I'm talking about. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. SSR listeners can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Go to Libro.fm, that's libr ofm and enter code SSRPOD when prompted. Treat yourself this holiday season with a new audiobook, or two. You totally deserve it, and the indie bookselling community deserves our support too. I recently finished listening to Jonathan Van Ness's Over the Top on Libro.fm, and I would highly recommend it. If you're struggling to come up with the perfect gift idea for the book lovers in your life, you might want to consider a gift membership to Libro.fm. When you purchase a gift membership, you'll get a free audiobook copy of Madeline Miller's Cirque that you can pass along to your giftee or keep for yourself. If you keep it, I promise I won't tell anyone. One last standard episode of 2019 before next week's special listener sode. In the meantime, it's time to talk about the click. Let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to SSR. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Today we are talking all about The Click, which is the first book in a series of the same name by Lisi Harrison, I think is how we pronounce her name. I've actually never... Mm -hmm met somebody named Lisi or even seen the name Lisi, But that's what we're talking about today. And this was brand new for me. I was aware of the series, but you brought this up. You suggested it. And I'm glad you did because we had lots of requests for it. With that in mind, tell me everything. Tell me why you wanted to read this book. Tell me about your history with it. I want to know all the details. Okay. Honestly, I'm so
1: glad you asked only because this book hold such a near and dear place in my heart. I think it was one of those series that I started reading. This book came out in what, 2004? Yeah. So I would I would have been like 10 when this book came out, which is kind of right in that prime area of being young and unsure of yourself. And I think those are like two really, really mirrored aspects in this book where like, I remember reading this book, you know, in middle school and loving it so much. I actually even wrote my own version of this book and I forced all my friends to read it. It was totally insane. Like, I wouldn't recommend anyone doing this because it is, it was just plagiarism. It's amazing. But, (laughs) but yeah, I love this book so much. And so when you emailed me, I was like, oh my God, this is what we have to do. And I felt so like shameful that like emailing you being like, okay, so I liked your suggestions, but also what if we did this? So I'm I'm glad it was
0: recommended by other people. I'm thrilled. Um, I had this on my list. This one falls into sort of a weird spot for me. So I'm a couple years older than you. When this came out in 2004 I would have been 14. So I feel like it fell mm-hmm. in like a weird spot for me where I was a little old for it. And I had definitely like moved on to Gossip Girl and other things. Okay, sure. I sort of think about this as a little bit of a parallel to Gossip Girl, which I guess must have come out a couple of years earlier because I remember coming to Gossip Girl when I was like probably too young for it. Like in the same way that you were maybe like two or three years younger than the characters in The Click when you read it at 10. I feel like I was like probably two or three years younger than The Girls in Gossip Girl when I came to it. So The Click just sort of missed me but I know a lot of people who are my age who read it when they were in high school. It just never like landed in my lap but I had been curious to read it because I, I did love Gossip Girl and the fact that the author was an MTV writer, like I think that's really interesting so I've been excited to read it and I had no idea what I was getting into. Listeners, for a little bit of background as Rachel mentioned, the book came out in 2004 ultimately there are 14 novels in the series which yeah, is wild it's insane <laughs> did you read the other books in the series
1: oh I read every single one oh, wow, they start okay. out
0: with these beautiful plaid covers they graduate to a paisley
1: at some point and then they do like a whole summer series it is like a whole franchise it's very well developed as a universe
0: and there's a movie which I discovered today and I'll include it uh, directed in the by Tyra Banks None other than Tyra Banks. Right. The one and only. Oh, my gosh. So the trailer uh, is horrifically bad. Did you see the movie? Oh. So is the
1: movie. Yeah, it's real bad. I, with a bunch of my friends on my soccer team, I think we were like freshmen in high school maybe, maybe a little bit later. We all got together and watched it and we were like, this is a um, this is a dumpster fire of a movie. But it's, it's one of those like you can't look away types of bad.
0: Right. Well, and you probably loved it because you were like, this is speaking to everything that I loved about these books for the last exactly. four years. That's amazing. <laughs> exactly. I mean, they really like wasted no time. So if you think about the fact that the first book in the series came out in 2004, I was looking at just the publishing schedule. So she had, two books coming out every year um and then they like cranked out books a year yeah so the first book came out in May 2004 the second came out in October 2004 then we have March 2005 October 2005 March 2006 I think you get the message she was writing so much and then the movie came out in 2008 that's pretty crazy I found a quote from her actually the author Lisi Harrison when she decided to stop writing the series she blogged for teen reads, of course, as one does, (laughs) and she wrote, I gave up my career at MTV for those girls. I stopped breathing fresh air and cut myself off from society. I went through five offices, three laptops, typed the letters A and E off two keyboards, lost a book when my computer crashed, wore out the leather on my office chair, laughed out loud alone at least eight times, and loved every minute of it. I truly did. And I guess you kind of do have to give up your life if you're writing at that rate.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, the books aren't crazy long, but they, I mean, to put out two books a year, I couldn't even imagine. Like, I've been trying to work on the same novel since I was, like, 18, and we're, like, 20 pages in. How does somebody do that? Like,
0: Well, and they're not long, but I will say, I mean, just looking at the book itself excuse any page turning listeners like it's pretty dense text when I looked at it sort of just sitting on my shelf I didn't think it was going to be very long and then I started it and it did take me a little bit longer than I Mm -hmm. thought that it would but that's partially because I was highlighting so many things and just writing like this is mean this is mean this is mean and it was weird because I said to my (laughs) husband like I don't know why I'm highlighting so much in this book because it's not really particularly substantive and I sort of had this feeling that you and I would talk more about like bigger picture stuff in the book and like the series as a whole and that kind of thing but I just couldn't help myself I was writing so many notes in the margins and highlighting so many things and I don't know what that was about
1: it is so interesting you say that because I think reading this whole series as a kid I remember loving it to my core and reading it as an adult I was like there's really not actually much happening here and I'm notorious personally for not looking at chapter headings when I read books. Mm. So it wasn't until this time around that I realized this entire book takes a place over the course of a single month and really nothing happens. Like a new girl moves in, there's a little bit of like friendship dynamic put in peril. And then there's what is like a really kind of lame and lacking denouement and then the book is just over, and it's like maybe more will happen. Yeah, and I'm just kind of shocked to see that there's a lot more by way of like how it's aged culturally that I thought was way more interesting to read this time around.
0: Yeah, and I would imagine that maybe there's more that comes in the series. Just from like a brief Wikipedia sort of like scan, <laughs> it does seem like there's a lot more action in the subsequent books because this is really just like setting you up, giving you a sense of the characters, a sense of the dynamics. One other thing. That that I noted, sort of like big picture for when this book came out. So the book came out in May of 2004. Mean Girls hit theaters in April of
1: 2004. Oh, wow. Isn't that wild? That is really, really wild. There are actually some scenes in this book that I think made me directly think of Mean Girls as well. There's one specific scene with like a three or four way call where I was like, oof, that is so Regina George. Very, very interesting that those would be. Well, and like you said earlier, There is kind of this whole cultural moment that was happening there where Gossip Girl was also coming out. There was like an A-listers book that was coming out. It was very much a trend to be like, what are tween girls
0: doing and how evil can we make them? So true. And I I guess like... Mean Girls was obviously based on this nonfiction book called Queen Bees and Wannabees, which is a really interesting mm-hmm. read. Incidentally, if anybody likes nonfiction and is down to learn more about where Mean Girls actually came from. Um, so I do think that like probably all of these adults had read Queen Bees and Wannabees a year or two before. I don't know exactly when it was published. And we're like, we need to create all this pop culture around what actually happens, or like we think actually happens in middle school and high school. So this was definitely the trend. But I agree with you. There are a lot of parallels to Mean Girls in the click, and I was surprised that they were published or that they sort of came out into the world so close to each other. Because I kind of mm-hmm. thought that maybe some of the scenes in the click were like gently lifted out of Mean Girls, but no, it was all gently simultaneous. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to accuse anybody of doing anything. Listen, unseemly. That is the nicest way I've ever heard that phrase. But I, I think
1: at least some inspiration may have been drawn from the. You know, it's so culturally. Um, impactful, I think, uh, Mean Girls was that it's hard to avoid it. Yeah. That comparison or the inspiration, it, whether or not it was intentional, who's to say, but it's certainly
0: there. I can't ignore it. So these girls are in seventh grade. And I I always like to ask this question when we're talking about a middle school book. What was life like for you in seventh grade? Oh, my God. Ugh.
1: I was not I was not a cool kid. Let's put it that way. I was super painfully. I was really, really awkward. One of my best friends had just moved away. So I think that's when I really started to develop what I'm going to call my personality, my core personality, where I was like, I need to figure out like how I'm going to be presenting to the world when you're a kid. So much of your identity is tied up in your friendships and mine were falling apart. And so I was like, I need to figure out who I am. What do I want to be? Seventh grade was a mess. Let's just put it that way.
0: I had the same experience, but in some ways like the converse. So I actually had moved about halfway through sixth grade. Um, And it was like kind of a traumatic move for me. There were a lot of things going on in my life and I was really unhappy about the move as I would anticipate a lot of sixth and seventh graders are about having to leave their friends. There's a lot going on at home. um, And it was just like a weird time. And I really just like never quite found my footing in my new school. We moved out of that school district when I was in eighth grade. So it was actually like a pretty short stint in this school district, but I never quite figured it out. And seventh grade was sort of smack in the middle of when I had landed there and when we left and I just struggled. I just like never felt like I fit in. And like you said, like when you leave your friends who you've known for years, especially at those elementary school ages, you do kind of feel like your identity is stripped away a bit, especially in middle school. Like. I don't know, I feel like in elementary school you anticipate that in some ways your life is going to kind of start when you become a tween and a teen. And when that doesn't happen with your friends, it feels super weird. So it sounds like we both had sort of like less than stellar experiences with middle (laughs) school. And these girls are so removed from what my middle school experience was like. And coming back to them as adults, that hit me so hard. What did it feel like for you who loved these books so much as a kid to come back to it and get reacquainted with these characters now in your 20s? I had a quick moment
1: when I started reading them of being slightly embarrassed for my former self because I was like, these books are so, for lack of a better word, like cringeworthy. Everything is so hyperbolic, or at least to any world that even now I could imagine. There's such severe kind of removal from what is reality. I had a hard time connecting with them or seeing how I could have connected with any one of those characters when I was a kid, and I couldn't quite remember who I felt I identified with in the series and so the whole thing was just really kind of jarring but about halfway through the book I was like you know what I did love these books and they were a big part of my childhood and so I tried to frame it as like a nice return to form of I think it's easy to feel connected to stories when you can identify an outsider and when you can identify some sort of aspiration and maybe that's what originally felt reading these books was like, oh, maybe I could have some sort of like deep bond in these friendships. And as you kind of hinted to earlier, the books do, they grow a bit, they develop for sure, even if the first book maybe falls a little flat.
0: Well, there is something kind of delicious about like reading this kind of wealth. And that's the experience of reading Gossip Girl. I mean, that's why Mm -hmm. these series are successful is I think especially like young people are fascinated by a peek into a world that is so far removed from what the vast majority of us experience and like the brand names and the descriptions about what their lives are like. And I've been reading a lot of like heavier books for the podcast lately. So I was kind of knowing what I might be getting into. I was like, oh, this is going to be like candy. Right. Um, All these like sort of little treats in terms of the description and the setting and all those things. And it was that. I mean, if you can just sort of take in those details, it's kind of a fun read. It's just the interpersonal stuff is hard.
1: Entirely There are scenes Where Massey Block Is a 7th grader Walking around her house In like 3 inch stilettos Like in the first scene With her mom They're in a fight And she's like Usually I take my High heel shoes off Before climbing the stairs But today I wanted To scuff the floors And it's like same, uh, you and me both. That's also how I retaliated. Is that not how you retaliated to your mother? Like, of course, it's what we all do. Right, like that, stuff like that is just so insane. Or Massey having like you know just piles and piles of horse trophies and meeting someone on her private horse trail. It's like I'm sure that wealth does exist somewhere but I still can't even imagine it now. Like that's insane to me still.
0: My favorite moment of the book that really made me feel like, oh my gosh, I don't know how old these people are. There's a scene where I think that one of the scenes where they're in the car. And I think this part is from Claire's perspective, Claire the new girl. And the language is something to the effect of, like, one long leg, like, slid into (laughs) the car with a high heel on. And, you know, they start sort of, like, spouting off the brand names that this long leg is wearing. And I'm like, honestly, how old is this character who's getting into the car? And it made me laugh. And at the same time, I'm like, when you are 12 or 13, you do kind of feel like you're an adult. And so I think to that extent, it's like as ridiculous as it is to me to read this as an actual grown-up. I'm like, I kind of understand how these girls, and I didn't grow up anywhere near like this. I mean, I was from like this very like middle-class suburb, but I would imagine like, especially if you're in this world where you're expected to be mature, you must really feel like a grown-up because I did and I didn't have those expectations on me.
1: I felt like a grown-up and I was wearing like three different colored pairs of like gauchos and they're like in these name brands things, but I think what you were saying earlier about, I think it was Alicia walking into the car at that moment, but I think there's something definitely to be said about, and maybe this is a little harsh of a judgment, so I'd love to hear your thought of, like, sexualizing these girls. Like, the very first scene when Claire is introduced to Massey, the comment that Massey's father, William Block, makes is like, oh, what a knockout you've become. And there are, like, I I hated it too. Just William Block's character in general is... God awful they're, they're, The one line that I couldn't stop thinking about For the last like 48 hours Was when Massey was talking to her father Asking him like how he was ever friends With um, Jay, Claire's dad And she's like He's like Donald Duck And you're
0: Donald Trump And I was like Ooh, I was like, ooh, this book. That hurts now. <laughs> it's talking
1: about aging, yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. The the age of the girls is really fascinating. I think part of it, you're right, is like there's just this element of sexualizing them, and I guess that's present in a lot. Of tween teen books because again like we're meant to believe that these kids are creating this like social society and there's these like different strata and there's crushes and relationships and all those things but I think just like the emphasis on appearance in this book paired with that made me like very confused at first I was like okay are they in high school I think it took a while to actually say that they were in the 7th grade. And then Mm -hmm. I just couldn't stop laughing. And that's when I started highlighting things because I was like, okay, these are just hilarious markers of status for a 7th grader. All Mm -hmm. the brand names, even the fact that Massey was so proud of the fact that she had this all-white, chic bedroom. And she was aware that that was in. And like... She also was aware of the fact that styles were changing, and that she was now supposed to have purple accents because that was the color of royalty. So, like, she's so tuned into yeah. like Architectural Digest; um, these are just not <laughs> normal behaviors for a seventh grader. I don't think even for we're a starting grader. a whole makeup company. Yeah, is, like, I mean, also not normal. So many things, and I was just wondering, like, the target audience for this book I find really interesting because clearly, like, you would expect that. Most kids who would want to read about seventh graders would probably be in seventh grade or younger, maybe like a little older. But I do think more often than not, kids want to read about characters that are the same age or older than they are. Like they're not necessarily interested in reading about kids that are behind them in terms of age in school. But the book also feels like a little mature in some ways for I think your average middle schooler. And I looked like the metadata on Amazon for this book. codes it as a middle grade book um but it reads to me like YA YA. doesn't it it's kind of confusing what do you think
1: it is a really interesting genre I think only because like you said the characters are so young but the content is so mature so like maybe there's no like explicitly sexual content but there are scenes where Massey's deliberately trying to look sexy for Chris Abley or there are scenes where like they'll just kind of make off-color jokes that like you really I, sh- I I wish I had them pulled up, to, like, so I could talk about them, but there are definitely some jokes in there. I was like, Ooh, woof, okay. Um, these are above grade. And I think it's interesting because I think as a genre, YA is still relatively new. And I think people don't really know how to code a lot of these books where they fall right in the middle. And I think part of that is reflective of how confusing that time is for so many people. And maybe that's why these books did so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they do kind of span those genres or the the age gaps, I should say.
0: To my adult brain, it would have made so much more sense and so many of my like weird feelings about this book would have been corrected if these characters had been in like ninth grade. And it always amazes me how like these small little tweaks like a little older <laughs> can totally change the way you look at a book. I think it's really fascinating. And the thing that I do think this book does really well and you kind of alluded to it and I think it's sort of part of this whole conversation about like who the target audience for this book is, and like where it really belongs in terms of genre, is that I think this book really does a great job of explaining what it feels like to be caught in this very weird spot in your life where you're not sure how you're supposed to be acting and how old you really are. And it's called middle school for a reason. Like you're referred to as a tween for a reason. Like you're between being a kid and being a teen, being an adult. Right. Um, and I think these girls are trying to figure out how they're supposed to act. They're kind of like putting on these adults' behaviors, trying to look like adults. But they had these moments of wanting to be kids, and they're all kind of at different levels of maturity. Claire in particular comes in and is like so much less mature than they are because she's not she from too. a place where this sort of maturity is expected of her. And so even though I was frustrated at points with a lot of the like really mature behaviors that I felt seem to come so naturally to them. I think that the overall like idea that these girls just aren't sure what it means to be 12 or 13 is very on point.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree with that too. And I think the book switches between so many points of views, right? So you get those scenes where they're being hyper mature, but then you also get scenes, uh, you know, when where they're splashing around in the pool and like mooning each other, which feels so delightfully naive. It's like, those are things you only do as a kid because you, you haven't yet become self-conscious of yourself and who you are. It probably would have worked better had those scenes felt like they transitioned well, as opposed to being like super stark uh, contrast to the scene before them. But at the same time, it's nice to see those more juvenile uh, moments find a place in this book. Otherwise, I think it would be way too heavy handed.
0: I think that's... Totally a fair assessment. Let's talk a little bit about the setup of the book. Like let's let's sort of lay the groundwork on characters and who all we're talking about. So as you mentioned at the beginning of the book, we meet Massey who is sort of being like forced to befriend Claire because their dads Mm -hmm. were best friends. What I really would have loved is like more about the dads because I was interested in how they'd become best friends. You get it a little bit at the end of the book when they're like getting drunk together at a charity Mm auction. But I thought that it would have been interesting to learn a little bit more about their families because then maybe everything would have been a little bit more grounded. Because I feel like there's no reason that Massey and Claire's dads couldn't have been friends and maybe that would have helped lay the groundwork for the girls a little bit better. But anyway, Massey is like pissed that she's now expected to be friends with Claire Claire is going to be in the guest house, which of course has these like financial connotations and they live mm-hmm. in Westchester County and there's a lot of money and a lot of expectation. They go to this very she, all girls prep school. Practical question. Why did Claire go to this fancy prep school?
1: Oh God, who knows? I mean, honestly, cause I, I think it would be easily explained away by just like saying, the parents wanted her to get the more pristine education or that exposure to like this kind of life is only going to help her down the line I think that's the easiest um explanation and the the other explanation is just for you know plot
0: (laughs) I mean for sure for plot but I was like I just wanted a line somewhere that was like she had a scholarship or like you said like her parents really wanted her to go I just thought it was so funny because the other girls were hitting over the head like so many times about how poor Claire was Right. But, like, don't you guys have an understanding of how much it costs for you to go to this school? Like, her parents can put out the money for her to go to this prep school. Come on. Right. Either that or she's on
1: scholarship, like, Kristen.
0: Maybe she is. I don't remember if that's, like, a
1: later plot point. But, no, I mean, her family is by no means, like, poor. Yeah. Uh, She's just not, like, Westchester rich. Yeah, by their standards, she's poor. (laughs) Right.
0: By their standards, she's, like, an untouchable, which is... Insane. So gross. So, Massey, of course, has this like clique, hence the name of the series. Oh, um, the titular clique. Uh, <laughs> yes. And I found that like eventually they become the pretty committee. That wasn't in this book, though.
1: No, no, no. That's something they form later after a group of like subsidiary girls try and, you know, over there's like a coup d'etat of sorts. And then Massey's like, we'll retaliate by becoming like an official pretty committee. I believe.
0: Oh, of my course. memory not. My memory is extremely fallible, but that sounds about right. I mean, that's what everybody would do. Just form a committee. <laughs> Naturally. Make it a committee and it's It's very diplomatic in that sense. Yeah. It is. So Massey is like the alpha of the clique. Um, mm-hmm. Clearly very wealthy, has all of the best of everything. She gets everything that she wants, loves shopping, um, really hates the idea of being left out of anything because she is the ringleader of most of the activities that happen in the group there's Alicia, yeah. who is like the most beautiful girl at the school. Incidentally, the school is called OCD, are the, is the acronym for the school. Yes. Uh, and I found somewhere that Lisi sort of in, thought that that was like a little bit of a joke that she'd included for herself. Like she had written. She the first thought it was like super clever? Joke. Yeah, I guess so. Um, she said that like the first book or two felt, you know, she was sort of had some tongue in cheek jokes, which makes sense. And it's a nice nod right. to adults reading the book. But I was I I wondered I was like I wonder if that was intentional. They go to OCD. Um, but anyway, Alicia Alicia's trademark is like her very large chest. She's developed very early, and so there's a lot of talk about that. She loves to gossip. She loves to dance. Um, it seems like she kind of wants to be a leader like Massey, but she's just not really there. Then there's Dylan, who is their like source of all things celebrity because her mom is this famous mm-hmm. like talk show host. There's a lot about her weight that I think we should talk about.
1: Yeah, there's definitely a lot to unpack with all of these characters because I think, incidentally, they become caricatures. But I'll let you finish up because I know we still have
0: our little intros. Yeah, Yeah. Dylan's an interesting one. But then there's Kristen, who is kind of like the cool soccer player girl. And when Mm -hmm. we first meet her, I'm like, oh, I think maybe I like her the best because she walks in, she's in like a sweatsuit and Claire is like, oh, I think that like she seems normal. She seems kind of like me. And then, of course, she like strips the... A sweatsuit off, and underneath she has her like belly shirt, and she's dressed just, just like Kristen right. and know. the rest of the girls. She just has conservative parents, and like she's just trying to break the rules. So I was disappointed because I was like, oh, maybe right off the bat, Claire's gonna have an ally. Um, but we do find out later on that Kristen's parents have fallen on hard times financially, and that she actually is on scholarship at the school, and that's not something mm-hmm. that she's felt comfortable confiding with the rest of the girls in the clique. And in the end, like that secret sort of carries a lot of weight in the way that. Massey and Claire are, like, just weaponizing all kinds of news to tear each other down. And then, of course, there's Claire, who we've mentioned um, before. She's the new girl. She's the one who's now living in the guest house at Massey's house. And she is, like, this very eager more age-appropriate-seeming 12-year-old. She likes to eat gummy bears. Um, She loves wearing Keds. It's so sweet. She feels so good about her outfit the first day of school. And, of course, this private school has a handbook that talks about how important fashion is. And she's like, oh, I feel great. Like, look at me in my Keds and my new white Gap jeans, which is an outfit that I probably would still love. And naturally, it's not It's an outfit that most
1: people wear in Brooklyn today. Like, that is a very chic outfit now. The
0: white sneaks are everything now
1: yeah Claire was
0: ahead of the game that's why Massey was so intimidated honestly yeah and the tights and the shorts look that she tries to start I totally did that at some point in high school so Claire has some like more bold fashion ideas but they're not necessarily wrong
1: they're, yeah, exactly. And I mean, again, more Gossip Girl parallels. I'm pretty sure that was like Blair's handbook from day one was just tights under everything. So
0: That's true. And they were in Manhattan and these girls are in Westchester. So it's not like these trends aren't, you know, they are they don't have far to travel here.
1: <laughs> right. So, um, but no, I mean, everything. I, yeah, that's. A, I think that's a perfect summary. The handbook is something I actually wanted to touch on because... Such an interesting way to, on a corporate level, phrase the tone of this book, where it was like these girls not only go to an ultra wealthy private school, but the handbook is like we pride ourselves on not having uniforms, and we entrust all of our students to take fashion like so seriously and dress to the highest of their abilities, and it's like that's insane. Like it's I don't know I to say, but. That scene, I think, in particular was just like, oh, wow, I forgot. I forgot that it's like an institutionalized wealth issue throughout the
0: book. Well, I I do remember at one point when I was in elementary or middle school, there being this debate about uniforms in my school district. And Mm -hmm. I think that this conversation was coming up a lot at this point in the early aughts. And maybe it still does, but I feel like it was like a thing. At this point, and that lines up with when this book was published. And I remember my mom really wanting us to have uniforms. I went to a public school, so it was like unheard oh, of to me at that time that they would have uniforms. I thought that only like Catholic schools had uniforms, and I was pissed about it. But my mom, <laughs> understandably, was like, yeah. And it's not like I was like a fashion girl, but I just didn't understand why I would have to wear a uniform like polo shirts and khakis. No, thank you. But my mom felt very strongly that it would be a good idea because it can then be such an equalizer. Like you can't sort of like play games with each other about who has the best clothes and who looks the best. And in hindsight, I'm like, maybe my mom was right. Like, I actually think that uniforms can go a long way toward eliminating that competition or that competitive aspect of middle school, especially because I think by high school, I think a lot of that maybe has leveled out, or at least it did in my case. I think in middle school, like, you're looking for every opportunity you can have to outdo other people. And you see that a lot in this book. And like you said, it's called out so explicitly in the school handbook that, like, they actually want people to use fashion to compete with each other.
1: It's insane. So, I, I went to a school where I did wear uniforms. So, up until college, I was always in a uniform. And the idea of getting to choose to wear whatever you want was so in it was so novel to me when I went to college I was like oh I need to own more than one pair of jeans I had never needed that before because I've only ever dressed for the weekends so I think also like maybe that's part of why I found this book to be so glamorous because there was such extravagant clothing and stuff like that and it's probably why I like fashion now because it's like it's it is such an extreme form of self-expression and I think having gone to a school with uniforms people will find ways to compete no matter what you wear which is like a sad and honest truth where it was like okay so you all have to wear the same like shirt and skirt but you don't have to wear the same shoes who's got the best shoes who's wearing the best socks who has the coolest hair it's like kids are so naturally competitive and i think uniforms are definitely a huge topic and i think they become a plot point later in the series as well which is probably because of all the reasons we've just addressed where it's like people need to feel equal and they want to feel equal and it's it's good but it also obviously comes with pushback from students so
0: yeah I mean not to bring it back to gossip girl again but in the show even you see like they wear uniforms but it's all about what hair accessories you're wearing and right. can you make your skirt a little shorter than everybody else's And right. are you wearing knee socks or regular socks and like what color are your socks and you can sort of mix and match those uniforms in a lot of ways and I kind of would love to see what these girls in the clique would do with uniforms
1: There's like a whole plot point later in the series where I think Massey starts wearing belts as tie or ties as belts. And it's like a whole fashion forward moment for everybody. And it is absolutely fantastic.
0: I don't know. I guess we'll just do like seven more episodes and read the entire series. Rachel's coming back, everyone. 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So we've met all the girls and naturally we're now setting up for some tension. There's this like horrifying scene where we start to see the dynamics of the group playing out as they're driving to school. So naturally, Massey has a driver who takes her to school. God forbid she take the school bus. Massey's parents have insisted that Claire drive with Massey because they are literally going from the same place. And Massey's horrified because this private drive to school is usually the time that she has to, like, chat with her gal pals. And she's relegated Claire to the, like, basically trunk of the car so that the rest of the clique can pile in. And it's really sad because Claire gets in the car and she's, like, all excited because she feels like she's in a limo. And she's like, oh, this is so cool. I expected to just see the dashboard of the car, but actually, like, I can see another row of seats facing me. And she gets, like, maybe five minutes of that before Massey sends her to the trunk. And I think Claire actually says something to the effect of, like, It was back where, like, pets and suitcases usually go. So she's, like, very well aware of what Massey's doing. She seems very hyper-aware of all of it. And that's why I think it's so interesting when she's still— you
1: see her have these moments of being, like, I'm being treated horribly. She takes a photo to, like, document. She was, like, no matter what happens, Massey's never going to be in my corner. And then you still see her fighting to be part of it. And you're, like, baby, no! What are you doing? Like, she's bad. Stop.
0: (laughs) Yeah, she can't figure out, even from this first car ride, like, she goes back and forth on whether or not she wants to be friends with Massey. This scene is where we especially start to see some of the issues happening with Dylan, so I'd love to start Mm -hmm. talking about her. Yes. As Claire's been kicked into the trunk of the car, she's, like, observing all the dynamics of these gals, these friends that have known each other for the last few years. They do some fucked up stuff, including, like, typing out texts, So that Claire can see them and they're, like, writing mean stuff about her. Like, you know, can we ditch her? literally just asking, do we
1: like her? And Massey's like, absolutely not. Yeah,
0: and Massey does that creepy thing where she, like, stretches out her arm. Like, that, you know, move that people do at the movie theater. Mm. And Claire can see exactly what they're saying about her. So, like, they're just, they have no interest in being friends with her. And I will say, like, this is, I just wish we'd known a little bit more about where Massey's hatred for other people comes from because there's just, like, no reason for anybody to be that needlessly cruel off the bat. Like, she didn't have even a day of giving Claire a chance. So all of this is happening, and Claire is observing what's going on, and Dylan, in particular, kind of comes in hot on this first day of school. She's eating a zone bar, and she she starts talking about the fact that her mom and her sisters are all going to do the zone diet, but there's an implication kind of early on that, like, she feels like she's the only one who really... Needs a zone diet. Like her mom is this hotshot TV host so I think, you know, the implication is that she's probably already pretty thin and throughout the book there's a couple of references to the fact that her mom seems to be more proud of Dylan's sisters. So Dylan is like chomping on his own bar and one of the details that I think Lise Harrison does so well is like, Pretty much at every turn throughout the book, Dylan is eating another zone bar. And I think it's, like, such an interesting call out to diet culture and how unhealthy it is. Mm-hmm. Like, eating diet bars every 10 minutes is not a healthy way to get any health issues that you have under control, even if it is a quote-unquote healthy diet. Like, that's just not a legitimate way to get right. to your nutrition.
1: No, absolutely not. I think it's I think it's brought up in the first chapter or two when Massey is forced to cancel her labor day plans. And she's like, she's like, I'm so sad I can't be there. She fakes sick. And I think it's Dylan who asks. she's like, how am I supposed to know if I look bad in the skirt? And then later when Claire uses it to her advantage, it's like, oh, do you really she pretends to be Massey in, in the story? And she's like, oh, do you really feel comfortable wearing a skirt to like X event? and i think all of those little details really kind of tap into a very specific kind of uncertainty that only young teen girls know just because of society's fixation on the way that we look and it's something that we're taught from such a young age like i i will say that is one thing that like i think everyone knows how that feels to feel like you don't quite look the way that everyone else looks even if you're of total average height or weight or size or shape
0: Yeah. Well, my first instinct when Dylan gets into the car, too, because the way she's described is, like, I think the idea was, like, she was taller and, like, she was broader than other girls is maybe how Lucy described it. And my first instinct was, like, this is great. We need some other body types in this car. I'm so glad that we're seeing some diversity in terms of body type. Mm -hmm. And then very quickly, it's, like, she is built like this, but we're trying to... Quote unquote, fix that. And she's obsessively doing everything she can to correct the way she looks because her mom is making her insecure. I'm sure that this kind of insecurity runs especially rampant in communities like this where there are parents Mm -hmm. that are in the public eye and it's not uncommon to be around celebrities and there's this expectation that you're wearing these designer clothes that I'm sure like are hard to fit into at certain sizes. But to your point, like the general idea of being insecure about your body and being uncomfortable in your own skin is essentially universal.
1: Yes, 100%. And I I also think that this is a book that is – Centered on conformity, right? So then anyone who doesn't fit what I'm going to call like the Massey model of like how people should look, which is like thin and poised and ready to go. It's like even Alicia who, um, you know, I don't think they ever actually give her like a defined ethnicity but it's hinted at that she's, like, Hispanic or Latino or something. Um, and they comment on her, like, darker skin. And, like, she obviously is then the one who has, you know, developed breasts early on. And those are all pointed out as things to be, like, concerned about. And for them to all fixate on, there's a scene where Alicia, the way it's written is, like, she's embarrassed. And I know because she's covering her breast, which is something she does whenever she feels uncomfortable. So anything that is other is made to be bad in this book. And I don't know if that's Lisi's way of calling attention to it or if it's just her being like, this is how kids are. And it's really shitty.
0: That's what I was going to say next, because I think that what's hard for me sometimes as somebody who reads pretty widely in this genre from across Mm -hmm. decades and like, I've now gotten familiar with a lot of different approaches to this kind of subject matter. I've read a lot of books where body image is brought up or a lot of books where race is brought up or the idea generally of like othering people that aren't like most of the kids in a certain community. I've read books that cover those sort of topics from literally like across the 21st century. And some authors do it really well and some authors do it not so well. I think what can be frustrating in a book sometimes is when those issues are brought up. And I don't necessarily think it's wrong to bring those issues up because they are real. I mean, it's unfortunate that that's what kids see, but I. I think it's okay to portray sort of the ickier parts of middle school Mm -hmm. as long as maybe there's some sort of a resolution or a message in it. And I think what's hard in this book is, like, we see all of these issues being brought up. We, as readers, get the sense that, like, it's not right to other people. It's not right to make people feel bad for the way that they look or where they come from or how much money they have. But there's no, like... I don't want to say that you have to put a tidy bow on it, obviously, because it doesn't need to be that neat and tidy, but there's not any sort of lesson there. There's not any sort of explanation of, like, why othering people is wrong. And this comes back to a question that we talk about a lot on the show. It's like, is it okay for a book to not have any moral value and to just be fun? I I don't necessarily know how I always feel about that. In this case, just because of the subject matter that's introduced, I think I may— wish there was a little bit more of a lesson just because I think if you're going to introduce some of this stuff for kids of this age it's Mm -hmm. maybe a little irresponsible not to have at least some of it be addressed by a parent by a teacher like there's no adult in this book who's trying to improve these kids behavior
1: or even the girls themselves right so like this is a conversation that I have all the time with my boyfriend we'll talk about You know, especially when it comes to YA, when I think you have this platform, especially someone like Lisey Harrison, who's who I would bet based on her publishing schedule was signed on for like a multitude of books when she published this one. I think if you know you're going to be writing kind of a long story that you are expecting to take off, you have some sort of, and maybe this is like too much, but I think you have some sort of moral responsibility to say something with the 200 pages you've been given. And I think there's so much cruelty that takes place on the pages of this book that to then not even see the girls apologize to one another for it and like just kind of continue their friendships. It's It's like, yeah, sure, forgive and forget, but also, like, really horrible things were said to each other, like calling your friends fat, making them feel insecure, dumping food on their heads. Those are all things of varying weights that should all be addressed in their own time. And it felt like none of those things had any resolution. The story just kept going.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm not of the school of thought that every single piece of pop culture that a kid consumes has to have moral value. But I think when you're introducing things that are so objectively kind of immoral, you have to balance it out somewhere. Right. If something's a little bit more morally neutral, I don't care as much sure tell us a story have fun right but like, like if let's you're also wacky. gonna be like <laughs> yeah this one I was like I feel like we need to somehow explain that we're not supporting maybe any just rein it in
1: yeah maybe we should just say like hey by the way I'm sorry I called you fat and maybe you feel ashamed of your body even
0: something as small as that would go a long way in a book like this I found an article on this website called Alpha Mom which is hilarious and I think it's basically (laughs) a site for like recommendations about what your kids might want to read or might not want to read and like how to handle those sorts of conversations so this is an article called The Click Books Appropriate for Tweens and this reviewer was like pretty chill about the books like you could tell she'd heard from other moms that maybe this series isn't great for kids and she was basically like I don't think it's that different from when I read Sweet Valley High and I think that's actually like a pretty fair comparison having read Sweet Valley High relatively recently and seeing how horrific it is um, I think that's (laughs) totally fair parallel to draw but the last sentence in this article is by the time your child is old enough to enjoy these books she's also old enough to realize that the quote unquote humor in Massey and her friends is that they remain static throughout the series despite the fact that the readers begin to want them to quote see the light the author also makes it easy to dislike Massey and company and realize that the glamorous life isn't all it's cracked up to be so I guess maybe that's the counterpoint to what we're saying like but I think think that this sort of expects kids to understand that there's a little bit of tongue in cheek humor happening in this book or to kind of like understand yeah. that you're not supposed to buy into any of this is real. And that's not necessarily a fair expectation for kids, especially if they're reading like well above their grade level.
1: 100%. So wait, okay, there's so much to unpack in those statements. I so I probably will get lost. But here's one that I think stands out immediately is I think Lisey Harrison peppers this book with tons of what I'm going to call, like, almost adult humor. There's some element of cleverness and some element of, like you said, tongue-in-cheek humor that I think I didn't necessarily pick up on. Like, I didn't notice that the school was called OCD the first time around, but reading it as an adult, it's impossible to miss. As is like all of Massey's, like what are realistically like kind of OCD tendencies. And I think her comebacks, for example, where she's like, did I invite you to my barbecue? Well, then why are you all up in my grill? Are things that are like, no one talks like that. Not even ultra wealthy people who think that they're super smart and clever. No one says shit like that. But there are things that Lisi does because she can, question mark. And I think it's done almost for her entertainment. And it's like, your audience is really young. Like, they're not going to get that, but they are going to repeat it everywhere they see it. And I think that's the, like, real danger of these books. Danger is so harsh. I don't think they're dangerous. I think they're super fun. I read them all. But the fact of the matter is kids are going to read these and repeat some of the behaviors, whether or not she was aware of it at the
0: time. Yeah, I think that's just where the ambiguity with the age range feels extra problematic because it's like you're giving these 12-year-olds behaviors that maybe would be more realistic in a book or a movie for high schoolers or college students but I don't know and maybe that's because
1: she wrote for MTV right she was an MTV producer so she's used to making more adult content and she was like what if I just took all the
0: adult content and I put it in a seventh grade setting and I think that's how the clique was born like probably so about halfway through the book I actually think maybe it was exactly the halfway point the book is 220 pages long and I did mark that it's on page 109 that there's kind of a turn in Claire's mindset about all of this because she's trying so desperately to be friends with these girls. Again, I don't understand why it made me so angry at her because I saw myself in Claire in a lot of ways. Maybe it's because I was the new girl in middle school also and I similarly was moving into a more affluent area than where I'd lived before and I just like didn't feel like I had the right clothes and the right things and the right experience and like all of that. So. I really related to Claire, and I think that's why it made me so angry when, like, she was falling prey to all of Massey's bullshit. Like, she's using her sort of loose connection to Massey to make other friends. Like, once she's Mm -hmm. realized that the clique doesn't want to be friends with her, in order to make friends that are outside the clique, she, like, goes around the lunchroom and is like, oh, yeah, I'm friends with Massey, hoping that that's going to get her more credit with these other kids. And I'm like, don't use... Like, she's just kind of playing all sides to get some footing in the school and I understand that but I was just like please anything but Massey.
1: Right, right. Well it's so funny you say that too because reading this book I was like okay wait who do I identify with here yeah. and I, it's definitely not Massey and I was like okay you know Claire. Claire's like the underdog she's easy to like identify with and then you see her even on her first days at OCD she's like oh yeah 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 like I'll, I'll dish some secrets to earn a little clout in these hallways and it's like immediately she's kind of this chameleon that takes on the Massey, like, attitude of being, like, what she, like, she's very observant, and I think she really immediately grasps that gossip is currency, and if you're able to give a little bit of information that people don't know, you're able to give a lot back, and so it's interesting to see someone who is supposed to be, or as I perceive it's supposed to be your, like, heroine of the story, so easily slip into the role of like, you're almost villain. Like no one is really good, no one's really bad. They're all just kind of this weird mix of trying to figure it out.
0: She knows how to play the game and she's a little bit (laughs) of a manipulative mastermind. And she's a little bit like our friend Katie Heron that way because she like figures (laughs) out the power structures. She figures out what she needs to do to take Massey down. And again, at that exact halfway point, she decides like, I've had enough. I'm gonna figure out how to like fuck with Massey And I, like, want to make my own way at this school. And this is where the tables turn a bit. Like, she starts plotting to take over the group. She basically wants to kick Massey out and, like, figure out how to make Dylan and Alicia and Kristen her friends. And we talk quite a bit on the show about something that always really bothers me and is is a trope that comes up again and again in middle grade and YA books, which is this concept that, like, it's okay to be mean if you are set up in the role of nice girl. Like as long as you're being yeah. mean to the mean girls, you're still nice. And we get that so strongly in this book. 100%. So I will say I'm, I'm glad that we're talking about we're to this point
1: because one of my favorite things in this book is, is the I Am Names. Like, can we just take a moment to appreciate Massacre as a screen name? It's amazing. All the I Am stuff I just amazing. love. It makes me so All nostalgic. Um, yeah, I miss it. I think I had, like, six different I Am handles as a child. And I remember spending so much time. So I think that as, like, a device for this story specifically works extremely well. That said, everything Claire does is really horrible and... Exactly what you said, which is like being perceived as a nice girl doesn't excuse horrible behavior, but it is what moves this book forward.
0: For the listeners who haven't read this book in a while basically Claire's number one tool for bringing Massey down is sneaking into Massey's room every <laughs> night because kind of very sweetly she goes on a walk with her dad and her dog every evening at 8 15 and so Claire figures out that that's like the perfect time for her to sneak into Massey's room and take over her computer and just kind of like involve herself in the conversation she's having with the other girls in the clique and I pulled out one excerpt that I think says it all it says all day mm. claire had thought about what ims she would write to Kristen, alicia and dylan while massey was out on her nightly walk with bean bean is her pug by the way what would she make them wear next whom would she tell them to befriend what gossip would they tell her she knew she was taking an insane risk sneaking into massey's room impersonating her in IM, and telling her friends how to behave and she knew that what she was doing wasn't exactly nice or fair but at the same time it felt sinfully good Besides, they treated her terribly, right? So didn't they deserve to have a little taste of their own bitchy medicine? Maybe it was a good thing she was doing. Maybe some humbling would make them all nicer people. It's wishful thinking, Mm -hmm. I guess, is
1: (laughs) how it boils down. Because really, in the end, I mean, I think anyone who's read a book or two could figure out that, like, in the end, they all figure it out. Everyone has found out. And they all kind of return to their ways. It's almost like everything Claire does in that that period of time. She goes in and she learns all these secrets. She makes Dylan even more insecure. Uh, You know, she finds out that Kristen is poor. And then basically Massey finds out what's happened and it all reverts. And nothing really actually comes of all of those IMs except for 10 chapters or so talking about it. Like, it's really never mentioned at all after that. Like, Massey finds out they do a three-way
0: call, and then it's kind of over. Yeah, I actually was a little bit confused. I did read this pretty late at night, and when the five-way call or whatever happened, which I guess was when they were, like, kind of taking Claire down, I was like, wait, what just happened? Because the next chapter, I all of a sudden, Claire's on the yeah. outs. And I, it was sort of unclear, like, what exactly— Massey had engineered in that five-way call and nobody ever explicitly is like yeah we figured out about the IMs and it was really messed up that you did that and now you're you're out like we don't want to be friends with you anymore it's just like oh no everybody was randomly on this five-way call and now we hate you again So yeah there I was like a lot there. of
1: unspoken there are definitely a lot of like unspoken unsaid narrative choices that Lisey made what one of course being this three-way call or five-way call I should say I had to read it twice because the first phone call felt entirely separate because she talks to Dylan first about the clothes that Alicia had bought for her. and And Claire's like, oh, yeah, if I ever need clothes, I'll probably just get Alicia to buy them for me, which is such a shitty thing to say. And then I thought that phone call had entirely ended. And then she got another call from somebody. The writing's a little clunky. Long story short, she basically says horrible things about all of them. And then Massey's like, good night, Claire. And everyone's like, ooh, mic drop, like, so intense, so bad. And it's like, oh, wait, I missed that. Can I reread it and try it again?
0: Yeah, I was Uh, like, okay, I guess we're in a fight now. Like, moving on. I just wanted to see if they could fix it. Which they, like, didn't really, I mean, the last chapter sort of leaves Claire and Massey in this weird in-between place at the end of everyday Massey writes a state of the union on her palm pilot which I love because I wanted a palm pilot so badly so when I was badly in middle school you know. My mom had one, and I just liked to play games on it, because obviously this is like, Mm -hmm. before smartphones were really a thing, so Palm Pilots were the best. And so every night, Massey makes a list of, like, what's in and what's out on her State of the Union. And in the final chapter, after this, like, charity auction where they kind of bond over their dads being embarrassing, Claire is both, like, in Mm -hmm. and out on Massey's State of the Union. So like you said, like, there's not really that much that happens, except... Claire comes in and messes everything up. Then they get mad at Claire for messing everything up. Then they kind of find peace at this charity auction. And now we don't really know what's going to happen, which I guess is why there's this full series where I'm sure the power right. dynamics just continue yeah, to shift.
1: They're all, they're ever shifting like tectonic plates. Right. So I think at some point Claire becomes like alpha or Alicia becomes alpha, but like for the most part, it's Massey controlling all these things. And they, I think it more becomes a power dynamic between Claire and Massey. Claire, as we we've seen in this book, exhibits signs of being rather manipulative and knowing how to play the game. She's extremely observant, and even in some exchanges between her and Massey, there are these moments where, like Massey, will be like, "Hmm." you are clever like you said something mean to me too do we respect each other and it's like no you guys are just being horrible to each other like that's all that is right but for the actual end of the book this book particularly i was like wait this is the ending the bit is like their parents their dads get drunk and they're singing 99 bottles of beer on the wall and claire like saves massy by texting her and being like we'll hide we'll hide for three hours near the garbage real hero move there she like texts her she was like we'll just run away and then they share like three lines of dialogue which is later revealed to be three hours worth of dialogue and Massey's like well I guess I guess we'll see about Claire.
0: Yeah, the ending was a little (laughs) unsatisfying. After all of the fucking with each other that they did over the course of the book, I would have liked like a little bit more information about what actually happened.
1: Exactly. I guess that's what I felt. I was like, this book is so poised to be a series that I think reading it as a standalone ultimately is not very satisfying. And I joked with my roommate earlier today, I was like, I think I might honestly get the second book because it. I mean, the book took me like, what? I don't know, like a day and a half to read. Like it's not... It's not heavy lifting by any means. And now I'm like, why? Like, what even happens in these? Why did I read them so much as a child? So maybe I'll rediscover it for myself now.
0: I'd love to know what you think. Please let me know. I I think what makes me sad about this book is that it contributes to this, like, expectation that I think so many people have been fed, so many girls in particular have been fed Mm -hmm. over the years that, like girls are just always going to be mean. And I think that we are starting to move away from that now as we're getting more progressive about the way that we talk to kids about like gender and relationships Mm -hmm. and just like the way to treat people respectfully. But when I was growing up, My mom, who was, like, extremely forward-thinking and, you know, like, very on her game, her answer to a lot of the interpersonal problems that I was having at school with friends were like, oh, girls are just mean. Um, And now, you know, I've read a lot about how that has just fucked kids up for all of these years. Like, there's a lot of research out there now about how problematic that line of thinking has been for girls in the same way that, like, the whole sort of quick answer to playground teasing between a boy and a girl has been like, Oh, he's only being mean to you because he likes you. It's sort of in that same vein of like, these are the pieces of conventional wisdom that we're feeding kids that set them up to like have these messed up views about how we treat each other. And I think obviously like this book was written in 2004 and we talked a little bit at the beginning of this conversation about how it was very much part of the like cultural conversation at that point to like talk about mean girls and why girls are mean. But now, in 2019 and beyond, it just makes me sad to think that, like, this was a cultural conversation that we were having at all, that, like, girls at any point were just being further conditioned to believe that this is just the way that girls their age behavior. Right, like it's just other. how we are. Right.
1: So the expectation then becomes the reality. I think that's actually a really interesting way of framing that, only because my mom who also is like very forward thinking and I, I think of her as like a very capable and wonderful woman, that was also something she said. It's like, oh that's just how girls are. Girls are just so mean. We're all just so bitchy and like we're really, really awful to each other and then we mature really quickly and we're fine. And it's like, I feel ashamed to say, like, I don't, I don't think I've ever unpacked that personally, but perhaps maybe if we did give that more thought the same way, I think when like Twilight came out and everyone was like, oh, teen girls are just so into like what they're into. And like, I think there's some, there's some cultural framing around the way that teen girls interact with themselves and other people that discredits them. And I think this narrative is certainly the one that does that tenfold where it's like, oh girls are just they just want to tear each other down and it's like that's not what that is Mm -hmm. like I guess if we want to bring it back to the book at the core these girls are best friends with each other and it really does feel like they'll do anything for each other it just also seems like they're all so so insecure I want to give them all a big hug and be like it's gonna be okay like you really are beautiful and you don't need to be mean to each other to feel good about yourselves
0: I think there is this undercurrent throughout the book that like we are supposed to kind of have some compassion for these girls. I think Massey in particular, there's one section when she is on the outs with the other girls because Claire's stolen them away where she's basically like, like, I don't want to go back to how I felt before I had these friends. I felt like an only child because she is an only child. And so I think the implication (laughs) there is like, you know, maybe we're supposed to have some empathy for a character like Massey because she was alone and she didn't have anybody Mm -hmm. helping her out at home. And so having these friends has really empowered her and made her feel more confident. And so Let's all feel badly for her, like, be that she's alone and she's lost her friend. So I I think that there's probably something that we could find in each of these characters that maybe would motivate us to give them a hug. It is hard. <laughs> it's hard. You're like, I really
1: don't want to. I really don't want to give him a hug. The one scene when she's walking with her dad, it's right when she's talking about building the makeup line. And she was like, she says something to the effect of, when I ask you how to be... Rich when I'm an adult. I don't want you to tell me to marry a CEO. That's like the that's effectively what the line communicates. And I was like, oh, her parents don't respect her. Her parents do not see her as a capable human. They see her as a future wife. Like that was kind of what that boiled down to. me. And I was like, oh, okay, I, I see some of Massey's like trauma. I guess I see some of her desire to have control.
0: I know um, that scene too. And I also think the whole storyline of them building the makeup company even though it failed miserably, it was really cool. I liked that a lot. It had sort of like a babysitter's club vibe to it of like these entrepreneurs. And just the fact that Kristen got to take a women in work class in middle school was awesome. I was like, where was that class? when I was in middle school. And just the idea that they're like banding together to try to fill this need. And they understand Mm -hmm. that like, It would be really cool to be able to make the makeup products that you need with stuff around your house. It's actually, like, a very 2019 concept that they were using all of these, like, natural ingredients to make beauty products. The vegans would love it. I could see it all over Instagram now. They would love it. So I did love that storyline. And I think, like you said, maybe it spoke to the fact that there was a way for them to, like, come together. And they really do have each other's backs and they're friends. And there's some good going on here on the whole Coming back to this book as an adult, a book that you loved so much as a kid, has it made <laughs> you love the book more or has it not held up for you in some way? And I kind of already know what you're going to say, but I'm anxious to hear how you sum it up.
1: I, I think I'm going to go ahead with a very diplomatic. I think it makes me appreciate the book more. Okay. I can't say I enjoyed reading it for any literary merit. I enjoyed reading it on like a pure, like, I can't believe I read this book, but I think returning to it is such a treat returning to it is like, it's like, it's like returning to like old toys and old family memories where you're like, some of these feel so, so indicative of an era that it's hard not to just be like, that is exactly what that was at that time. And it's, it's really good for this book to stay in 2004, maybe.
0: Well said, Rachel. Well said. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> take a bow. Like, take a anyway. bow. <laughs> take a yeah. um, What oh. else have you been reading lately that you would recommend to our SSR listeners? We are verging on like holiday break for a lot of people. It's the end of 2019. What book should they be squeezing in before the new year? No pressure or anything.
1: Okay, great. Yeah, I, I wasn't prepared. But since you asked, um, a book that is out right now that I think everyone should read is in the Dream House, which is the new Carmen Mikado book, and it is delicious. I think everyone needs to give it a go, especially if you love nonfiction and or memoir. And then a book that I love reading around the holidays and a book that is adapted into an HBO series um, is the His Dark Materials trilogy, and everyone should read that, especially because you've done The Golden Compass,
0: right? We have, I'll include a link to it in the show notes. Thanks for the shout out. You showed a little blurb for yourself,
1: nothing like a little good self-promo, but um, yeah, highly recommend both. Um,
0: That is a good holiday read. It's, like, very cozy and wintry.
1: Yeah. It's also just, like, I mean, I don't return to a lot of YA. I think that's actually specifically middle grade, but it's one of my favorites.
0: So you can't not return to the things you love, right? That's a good timeless one, too. Like, even reading it as an adult, it didn't feel like middle grade to me. It felt... I would have read it as an adult. It felt like sort of appropriate for everybody. Mm -hmm. So I echo that and I will include links to your recommendations in the show notes along with a link to the click for those who want to check it out. And I will, of course, link to your Instagram so that everybody can follow you. Rachel, thank you so much for letting me in on one of your teen tween favorites and um, (laughs) being brave enough to unpack it with me because I know it was a lot.
1: No, there's so much to unpack and I I implore everyone to read it and then I don't know, like do a TED talk on it. Yeah, and let us know what you think. We now. <laughs> Get involved, everybody. Yeah. Thank you so much. I had so much fun. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast.